The summit between President of the United States, Donald Trump, and Supreme Leader of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. We're going to talk a little bit about all of that and the symbolism that happened and the criticisms that went back and forth. Also, what do you do when a private company is doing something better than the government? Yeah, that's right. Something's been going on around the nation from a private company, and we're going to take a look at it. All this and a little more is coming up. If this is your first time, welcome to the program. This is FritzCast. Welcome, guys. It's Friday, June 15th, 2018, and this is indeed another edition of the FritzCast. I don't even know what number we're at now. I lost track of that a long Long time ago, I decided not to be that guy. Don't don't be that guy counting out your episodes like it's an accomplishment. Uh, I don't want to sit... The, to me, for something like this, I mean, I, I guess it's hard. You have to sit down every week. You have to organize your thoughts, do some research, uh, come up with your carefully crafted opinion, and, of course, reasons why your opinion is right and everybody else's opinion is wrong. That's That's probably the most fun part. Of it all, and, and sit down and record it, and edit it, and upload it, and market it. So, okay, it's not, it's not that easy, but it's not that hard either. And I like, I could do 500 episodes, and I'm not going to sit here like you know, oh, I've done 500 episodes. What an accomplishment! Um, uh, the things that I find accomplishing are like I'm over a thousand follower followers on Twitter. That that to me is an accomplishment because that's something that you know people had to. Listen to me, read something that I read or something, and then click follow because they're like, oh, this guy seems interesting. That is an accomplishment to me over just, you know, oh, I threw up this podcast episode. Listen to me. That being said, maybe I undersell myself. You know, I don't I don't know, but it's not that big a deal. All right, so we're at episode 100 whatever something. And I wish I could tell you that I had an eventful week this past week, but uh, I have not. That, that that happens. Uh, I think as you go through life, uh, day in and day out, you have certain days or certain weeks where you, you, you hit them and they just feel like a stretch or a drag or, you know, the usual business where not much is going on. And, you know, you're just maintaining. And that's what this past week has been. For me, for the most part, it's been focusing on cleaning up the house, um, doing some projects like uh, tomorrow, for example. There's the uh, Italian festival going on here locally, which happens every year in, in June. So th- that'll be a fun old day. We're going to bust out the uh, grill, do some barbecuing, good, good old American barbecue, uh, get some beers, do a little drinking, go to the Italian festival, get a Panzerati, which... If you don't know what a Panzerati is, it's like it's like a Stromboli deep fried, which uh, that should just win you over right there. Deep fried Stromboli, that's a win. You can't argue against it. You don't have a card to trump against that one. And if you want to talk about, oh, that's unhealthy. Well, yeah, you only live once, so might as well eat it while you're alive because you can't while you're dead. 
Of course, Father's Day is coming up this weekend, and Father's Day, uh, for me, if you haven't, if you don't know me, if this is your first time listening, first time hearing anything from me, that type of thing, people who know me already know, obviously, but Father's Day is always a big day of reflection for me because my father passed away when I was about four years old, which I have very vivid memories um, from when he was alive, from when I was as young as three and four years old. Uh, for some people, that's impossible to believe, uh, but I, I do. They're ingrained in my head of uh, my father before he passed away. Uh, some vivid memories of my father's funeral are in my head. That's always a time of reflection for me because for me to get to know my father is pretty much through family stories. The family that, you know, all my older siblings, my mom um, talking about him. That's how I've learned who my father was. That's how I, you know, unfortunately, in terms of developed relationship with my father, uh, at four years old, you, you don't have it when he was dying. Um, you don't have that much of a developed relationship with your father when he was sick and, and passing away uh, at that young of an age. So I have a, I have a few fond memories in my head. Of when my father was alive. The rest of it is the family stories. And, you know, I've come to find that some things are just ingrained into you genetically. Um, it would seem, at least anyway. Because, like, my whole family seem is seemingly impressed that I've torn up flooring in my house and put down new flooring. Uh, which, which is a daunting task. And me and my wife were just kind of like, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, my family has said, that's the spirit of dad right there. Um, that's exactly what he would have done. D- didn't care that he would never have done it before. You know, you do it and you learn as you go. And, and that's something that you pick up and they're like, well, that's the spirit of dad. And it's not like, it's not like he was around to pass it on to me. Not, not by his fault, but he wasn't around to pass that on to me. It's something that's ingrained into my brain. That's, you know, like father, like son. It's just kind of there. That that being said, a lot of people, you know, they ask, what was it like growing up without having a father when I had siblings that had my father around? And uh, I have to say, uh, it, it was an odd experience. One of the things that I didn't like growing up that maybe I should have appreciated a little bit more is that there was people that tried to be as best a father figure they could be without taking on that role. You know, my mom never dated anybody after that, never, you know, sought a new, you know, partnership or relationship with anybody, which is fine. The The church and the church activities I used to do, the, the, the men in the church always tried to be an example and always tried to, you know, I always went to the father-son outings. You know, I still did the Boy Scout. I did the Cub Scouts and the Boy Scouts, and uh, I did all those activities. And I had people that wanted to be some kind of figure, but not obviously my father. And and part of me, as a younger person growing up, the thought in my head was, well, I you know, I just I don't have a father. Nobody can fill that role. Nobody can be my father. Nobody can take that spot. All right, that spot is, for all intents and purposes, closed out. Right now, I had a father. He's not here. I'm going to have to learn about who he was and develop that kind of relationship in my head 
with who my father was. So yeah, my long, my younger self might have tried to push some of the people trying to fill a void away, but I did take important lessons away from it. Thankfully, I had you know a devoted and wonderful mother who, I, to this day, to this day, mom, I still don't know how you did it. Um, I want to say it was magic, but it uh, clearly wasn't. It was hard work. It was determination. It was faith. It was grit. It was responsibility. It was a lot of different things encompassed into one and and you managed it uh better than anybody that I know so I did take a lot in from that my mother filled a filled a role as a parent you know my mother did her job as they say growing up my absence of father really didn't really hit me until I was probably in the pre-teens, teens years, because that's when you hit, you know, puberty, and you become, you know, you go from being a boy to being a man, and, you know, having to start shaving and stuff, like, you know, yeah, I had brothers, I had brothers to, you know, hey, this is what you do, you, you lather your face up, and you start shaving, and yeah, you'll cut yourself, whatever, yeah, that happened, and, you know, I, I picked that up, uh, relatively well, despite the fact that I have this big old beard now, and it's not going anywhere. But it was that time frame that it really hit me, like, you don't have a father. This is the time that fathers and sons really get bonding in and really develop deeper father-son relationships, and I didn't have that. I didn't have that, but that doesn't mean that I won't have that. It doesn't mean I won't have a son of my own and have big good bonding experiences with him you know if I have a son someday because be, because of that I, I have a lot of drive and motivation to the point where if if me and my wife become parents I already know what I want to do and how involved I want to be in my children's lives from an example of not a you know not a bad father just you know a father who passed away who who couldn't be there because he passed away and as long as I'm living and breathing, that makes me feel like, with my future children, that I'm going to create strong bonds and strong links. And, you know, I have a great example that was growing up in my mother on how to parent. I have that. And that's a blessing, and I should count that. But that's what happens when Father's Day rolls around right now. Maybe in a couple years... I'll have a kid, and Father's Day will take on a new meaning and a new appreciation. But when Father's Day rolls around, it's a lot of reflection, a lot of, you know... I try not to do the what-if game and wondering, because we can't... I mean, I can't change any of that. I can't change any of that. There's no point in me playing a what-if or a wondering game. So that's what will happen for Father's Day. But, you know, like I said, uneventful past week. It is what it is. I'm looking forward to a vacation coming up in July. That's going to be much needed. I'm going to get a lot of stress relieved. And I'm going to unwind a little bit. And there probably won't be a new FritzCast edition when that time comes. But, you know, that's just part of the break and the refreshing and then recharging and re-energizing. So that'll be that. Now, this past week there was some craziness that happened all around the world. What? One of the crazy things that you might have seen on Twitter, if you're a Twitter-goer, or social media in general, was a, a raccoon scaling a, a, a large building. I forget where. The, of course I forget where. 
I have to go onto my Twitter profile and find the tweet that I put out for it. Because, th- I mean, this literally took the whole internet by storm for, for a chunk of time. Like, the America was tuning in to watch this raccoon just scaling a building for no reason whatsoever. Here it is, a New York Times article, no less. Daredevil raccoon climbs Minnesota skyscraper and becomes a sensation. A raccoon took a break on Tuesday outside a window on the 23rd floor of a USB tower in St. Paul, Minnesota, hours after it began its ascent. At first look, at first it looked so defeated. Its head buried between the front paws and its body curled up on a ledge 20 feet above a street in downtown St. Paul. This raccoon captivated audiences because he was stuck up on a building pillar. Nobody really knows how he got there. He climbed there. Duh. And then he continued to scale the building and news cameras were on it for hours as he slowly scaled all the way up to the very top of the building. And this happened overnight. The, 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 the Cameras were on this thing at 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. And everybody was captivated by the raccoon scaling the building for, for no reason whatsoever. And uh, some of the responses on Twitter were great. My response, my tweet was, quote, I hope you people realize that it is only here, right here, in the great nation of America that we can all gather on Twitter with this hashtag sitting at the edge of our seats while an animal scales an unnatural structure for no goddamn reason whatsoever. America was captivated by a raccoon. And so was parts of the world, parts of the world. And there was live streams of this crap. There was live streams of people watching this thing scale the building, and I get it. I'm, I'm downplaying people's joy. I'm, I'm pooping all over other people's happiness. I get it. I'm not trying to do that. It was just one of those things that caught me off guard this week. Really did catch me off guard that a raccoon took over the world. And I, that's probably a testament because people were tweeting it and making it political. Like, oh, this is how our this is this this raccoon is the hope that we all needed. And only in Donald Trump's America do raccoons try to scale buildings for no goddamn reason whatsoever. Caught me off guard. You know what else caught me off guard? A couple of weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, Seattle was talking about um, pushing out a tax on businesses, a head tax, to try to combat homelessness. And it failed miserably for them. I'm pulling up the, uh, I'm pulling up an NBC News article right now. Um, the measure, the original measure, uh, it was a newly enacted head tax imposed on the city's largest companies, including Amazon.com, um, in the face of apparently insurmountable big business opposition to a tax meant to fight an affordable housing crisis. This was a 7-2 to vote in favor of repealing, uh, a measure that was unanimously adopted. Back in May, Seattle advances this tax on companies like Amazon to help the homeless, quote-unquote. And the tax in question, also from NBC, 
This NBC article from May 15th, quote, The city council backed a compromise plan that will charge large businesses about $275 per full-time worker each year, lower than the $500 per worker initially proposed. They were proposing $500 per worker per year to combat homelessness. Uh, the so-called head tax would have raised about $48 million a year to pay for affordable housing and homeless services. The debate over who should pay solved a housing crisis exacerbated by Seattle's rapid economic growth comes amid skyrocketing housing prices and rising homelessness. The Seattle region had the third highest number of homeless people in the U.S. and saw 169 homeless deaths last year. So they unanimously passed this head tax, a tax that they were imposing on companies simply for having people hired to get money to combat homelessness. That, to me, is a government that is very deceptively good at saying that they're going to curve a problem by charging big business to pay for it. For and, and by the way, that tax, yeah, we should combat homelessness. There's a bunch of homeless people that we got to help out. Okay, good cause. You don't do it. You don't fix it by just saying... Oh, you're a big business, so we're going to charge you $500 per person you have employed. Because that, to me, sounds a lot like I'm going to strip down my employment then. And you're going to have, I don't know, more unemployed people. Needless to say, Seattle throws out this tax, unanimous vote. And a week later, just the other day, they vote to repeal it because obviously the businesses said, we're not going to put up with that. Um, we're not going to take that much of a cost and, you know, settle ourselves in Seattle when we can just go down the block outside of the city limits and set up shop and run our business and employ people and, and do what we do. Some people out there listening are going to be like, oh, look at this guy supporting big business and all that. No, I'm not trying to support big business. All right. I, if anything... I prefer small business be given the chance to thrive and work. And I think the government does a piss-poor job at that. I think trying to start a business is way too hard for people. I think licensing reform is in desperate need around the world because you'll see where licensing restricts people from being able to even start up a business without an exponential cost for no good reason other than... People putting money in their pockets. And the government will always try to justify it, saying that a licensing system is important because that way, you know, people have the proper training and uh, and nothing bad can happen. But when it's a when it's small-scale private business exchanges between people, a lot of this licensing crap doesn't need to... There's hair licensing. Licensing for braiding somebody's hair. Something that, I'm sorry... You, as far as I'm concerned, somebody could start up a private business for that. And you go, and you either like the work that the people are doing, and you don't like the work that the people are doing, and the market takes care of it. In fact, that's subject matter that came up in a, in a blog entry that I did on 71republic.com, which you can head to right now. Uh, I did an article on the uh, Supreme Court of the United States decision, which we talked about last week, too. The Masterpiece Cake Shop. 
and uh, not baking cakes for same-sex couples uh, for their wedding. Something that I expounded on in the article is just the fact that I think a free market resolves these issues. I really do. I don't think government-enforced morality really works. I think that it is a somewhat wasteful endeavor to boil it down to the government forcing private business entities to serve people uh, in that sense. Because I think that dollars are powerful. I think consumers are powerful. I think that the consumer body is way more powerful than we're willing to admit and give credit to ourselves for. Same thing when the, the net neutrality debate comes up. Oh, the net neutrality rules have been um, taken taken off. They've been repealed. And the internet's going to die now, right? Well, so far, no. And I know it's only been a couple of days. And I know that probably the government will just come back and put some other regulations on the internet again. All right. I, I, I understand that will probably happen. And if it doesn't, I'll be shocked. I'll be shocked if net neutrality doesn't pop back up. Uh in some way, shape, or form. Won't be surprised. But everybody wants to make such extremes out of these, and I think that the American consumer is far more powerful than people are willing to admit. I think that big business isn't as powerful as people fear it is because at the end of the day, this is a competitive world. This is a competitive market, and if you strip the government out of some of the things that the government has helped prop up, you have an even open and freer market at play. At the end of the day, can you really force the Christian baker at the cake, at the cake shop to bake wedding cakes for same-sex ceremonies if that person doesn't agree with it? And it just harkens back to Austin Peterson. Who wants to buy a cake from somebody who hates you? Who wants to buy a cake from you know, a bigot or something? nobody should want to nobody should want the government to force that person to bake the cake because at the at the end of the day you haven't curbed that person's behavior you haven't curbed that person's attitude that person still doesn't agree with it and reluctantly made what you uh, requested so I think the market force does play a, a role there but Seattle wanted to tax businesses per person that they employed some people are going to say, hey, it's a way to get money to try to curb that homelessness situation. Other people like me look at it and say, that's a punishment for employing people. What else is it? You're taxing per person that they're employing. They're, they're giving jobs to people. They are getting people incomes. They are boosting your economy. But you're going to levy large taxes on, on, on large portions of their of their body to, to scrape up $48 million, which, if you read into it, they say wasn't even nearly enough to combat their issue. So it sounds like it wasn't going to work out so hot anyway. But they repealed it anyway because the businesses replied in kind. And sure, it was against big business now, but... Can you imagine if it went down and it was successful and then they applied it to small businesses as well? If they treated them almost in the same vein? I mean, that would be ridiculous and insane. Just more red tape from the government.
As if the government is so efficient at doing things. Because think about this. One of the things I mentioned in the opening. What do you do when a private business does something better than the government does? Domino's. Domino's pizza chain, which I don't, I'm not going to speak any ill will against Domino's itself. I'm not a chain guy when it comes to certain things. Like pizza shops. I love mom and pop shops. I love local shops. I don't much care for the national chains. I don't like Papa John's that much, except for the garlic sauce. Domino's, I don't like that much, except for the seasoning on the crust. Uh, Pizza Hut always is sucked. Always. Little Caesars is garbage in a box. Well, Pizza Hut's going around, and they're filling in potholes around cities to patch up roadways. And from the Washington Post... An article by Eric Norenberg, posted on June 13th, titled, Why I Let Domino's Fill My City's Potholes. What does it say about American infrastructure that a pizza chain is paying for our repairs? I don't know, but I'll take it. Let me read some of this for you, all right? Because they've done this in my own home state of Delaware. They've done that right here in Delaware. Quote, when I moved to Delaware two and a half years ago, I was impressed by the quality of the infrastructure, including the relative lack of potholes. I had most recently worked as a city manager in Northeast Ohio, a region known for tough, cold winters with lake effect snow and endless potholes. There we know how hard it is to keep ahead in the never-ending race to fix our streets with limited resources. I was told in my new home that being positioned between the Delaware and Chesapeake Bays, our peninsula had more moderate weather. Then, three weeks into my job, a nor'easter hit Delaware, bringing snow, winds, flooding, and low temperatures. And that meant potholes. Over the next two years, I learned more about the infrastructure needs of Milford, Delaware, approximately 10,000 residents in Milford, Delaware, and the funding mechanisms we had available. While some streets in Milford are maintained by the state, the majority are in the city's responsibility. Deferred maintenance on other streets meant that while about half of Milford streets are in good or satisfactory condition, the rest were rated fair, poor, very poor, or serious. While Ohioans have, in my experience, greater sensitivity to street maintenance, Delawareans are no less upset when a truck rumbles over a pothole near their house and wakes them up. But Delaware also prides itself on being a low-tax state, and that has attracted many residents over the years who have expect excellent services with low taxes and rare, if ever, tax increases. I'm going to call BS on that one because Delaware, while it prides itself on tax-free shopping, that's about it. That's about all Delaware has on the tax front is tax-free shopping. Um, their income tax for the state is, I guess, on par with the region. The property taxes, Governor Carney has already said, are too competitive and might have to be raised, uh, among other things. So there's that. And there's also the fact that Delaware, as a state, is within the top five or the top ten employers for the state itself. The state government is one of the top employers for the state. So if we want to talk about expenses, Delaware has a lot of them. Uh, Continuing the article, quote, So when I learned in the winter that Domino's was offering checks to municipalities to repair their potholes as part of a marketing campaign, I quickly responded. 
We worked with Domino's ad agency to ensure the city would be portrayed in a positive light, not as some pothole-infested place you'd never want to visit, and to address any ethical concerns. In example, we are not endorsing any particular brand of pizza. Our role was easy. In exchange for a $5,000 check, Domino's wanted photos before and after shots. They didn't want to send a video crew. They didn't want a high-resolution photos. They didn't. They wanted cell phone shots of a bunch of guys patching potholes. They, the work was fun for our maintenance team. They rolled out our new patching system and got to work. They added the tagline and Domino's logo spray in chalk. And in two weeks, more than 40 potholes of different sizes were patched across Milford. You can read this article, by the way, going on Washington Post and just Googling why I let Domino's fill my city's potholes. Um, this is that's a prime example of it's a prime example of a private industry or private entity doing something on a public utility like like a roadway, for example, and fixing it. Better than the government could hope to fix it. Which is crazy. In my mind. Crazy in my mind because as a libertarian type of person, this is exactly what we were talking about. You know, we say taxation is theft. Everybody else says, but the roads. What about the roads and the bridges? Well, the roads and the bridges all across America are in a decrepit state. And by the way, we've been paying taxes on them. We've been paying taxes on them. Every year. And it doesn't get better. I In Delaware itself, I'm surprised by his... I'm surprised by this gentleman's complimentary comments on Delaware's infrastructure and roadways. Because Delaware, for well past my six-year career with my, my employment in Delaware... Well past my six years, every major roadway has construction going on on it all the time. There's a stretch of road called 141 here that has been under construction since the time that I was a freaking child. Been under construction for expansion, uh, shutting the bridges down and doing construction on them because they're structurally, structurally deficient. And the project that they're currently working on, that they've been working on for about three years or better now, has been extended multiple times with budget increases multiple times because as they're working on it, they are, quote, finding more problems. So you tell me, you tell me when, 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 you, when you get in your car and you pull up Google Maps and every other day some section of road or some on-ramp or something is shutting down for a period of time to be worked on. And you're praising the infrastructure. It's probably because it's down in Milford and he's not up north where all these problems are so prevalent. But uh, amazing work from Domino's going around America fixing potholes in the name of delivering pizza more safely and soundly. And that's all they want. They just want a stupid little stamp of, oh, yes, we did, Domino's on there. That's all they want. They want some cell phone pictures and, and some cell phone video and a stamp that says, oh, yes, we did. 
I'll take it. I'll take it. And if you read the article, the gentleman who works in government and works with government budgets and all that says it wasn't that hard of a decision to, to say, oh, yeah, Domino's, yeah, you can do that. That's more evolution in how we handle things, people, and I think that's a good thing. So look more into that. Um, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un had their summit, the summit that I said wasn't going to happen, the summit that I said very bad things would happen at, the summit that I said would kick off World War III happened, and we are not yet in World War III. And this, my friends, this is just a prime example of why I don't play the lottery and why I don't bet on sports and why I don't bet money in general for anything. (laughs) Because I thought... Maybe I was just paranoid. Um, By by the way, by the way, let's just stop ahead of ourselves. Uh, For all the MAGA people freaking out, thinking that this is a done deal and we're good and Donald Trump has done the impossible and... And we are so golden now. Uh, I will implore. Nothing has happened yet. (laughs) Nothing. It's been like three days. Since the summit. Nothing has happened. There's nothing that's really been accomplished. Other than the meeting. The meeting is a big accomplishment in and of itself. However. We have. Our typical political poo slinging. Back and forth on Twitter and social media. Uh, A lot of people off-put by Donald Trump visiting and meeting with this ruthless, callous dictator of North Korea who still runs concentration camps. It's been three days since the since the freaking summit. What do you expect? You expect all the concentration camps to be closed? You expect all the imprisonment to be closed? This guy, Kim Jong-un in North Korea, is responsible for the death of an American, by the way. Sure, they released three American prisoners uh, What about a couple weeks ago, um, but... There is the case of Otto Warbemir. Um, among other things, the White House put out this weird, odd video package for uh, for Kim Jong-un, uh, who happens to love Western film and Hollywood and all that. Like, it's a big thing that people in America don't know. He loves, he loves the movies. He loves Hollywood. He loves that crap. So the White House and and Donald Trump put together like a movie trailer of sorts to hype up everything that was going on. Uh, Might have even been to a dangerous level. Here's a snippet of it. A new world can begin today. One of friendship, respect, and goodwill. Be part of that world where the doors of opportunity are ready to be opened. Investment from around the world, where you can have medical breakthroughs, an abundance of resources, innovative technology, and new discoveries. What if? Can history be changed? Will the world embrace this change? And when could this moment in history begin? It comes down to a choice. On this day, in this time, at this moment, the world will be watching, listening, anticipating, hoping. Will this leader choose to advance his country and be part of a new world? Be the hero of his people? Will he shake the hand of peace and enjoy prosperity like he has never seen a great life or more isolation? Which path will be chosen? 
And that's just that's just a snippet of it with lots of positive image of Kim Jong-un. And now we have Donald Trump walking around talking about how he's a great guy. He's a great man. Oh, hey, uh, Mr. President, he still has concentration camps open and all that. And he's killed people. Oh, well, you know, you got to be you got to be tough. It's a tough people. You got to break them in easy. That quotes from the president of the United States, ladies and gentlemen. North Korea summit. Uh, it was very, very weird seeing our flag next to North Korea's flag as well. That was that was that was weird. Not I'm not going to say off putting, but it was weird. Uh, Trump shaking Kim Jong-un's hand. I get it. You have to. This is steps to try to make peace with that country and try to curb them and, and make them a better place. And I get that. And that is important. But some of the playing, some of the semantics, some of the, some of the things that have been going on, some of the words that have been said, even, I wouldn't do it the way that Donald Trump is doing it. I get what he's doing. I, 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 I see exactly what he's trying to do. He's trying to play towards Kim Jong-un's ego. And while we're seeing this footage here in America and they're showing us, you know, oh, th- these are the steps that are being taken and, and this is what's going on, it's probably being shown in North Korea that, you know, oh, look, the American president came and he's talking about how great Kim Jong is and he's not that great. He's not that great. And and that movie trailer, you can actually go on YouTube and look it up. You can watch the full trailer. It's about three minutes long of, of exactly that dramatic narration going on. One man, one choice, one solution. Will he do it? They made it. They beefed it up to be a Hollywood-esque, you know, are you going to be the hero of the world or not? And as if, as if, as if he's not in deep shit for all the shit that he's done up till now. Like we're just going to not bat an eyelash and, and give him a pat on the back and wipe his slate clean for him. Uh, yeah, sure. Right. So that's been going on. Uh, Trump even saluted uh, one of the top Korean generals in a meeting and then shook his hand, which there's no protocol for the president saluting a, a foreign general that isn't an ally right now because the, guess what, people? They're not an ally. That being said, there's no point and purpose in hoping for failure for it. Obviously, I hope constructive things happen, but I'm not getting excited because they shook hands and he signed a piece of paper because next week he could be right back to, I'm going to blow up the world. I don't put much credence in that, but you know, it is what it is. So that was the two hot topics this past week. Of course, there was, I can't dive into this yet, uh, but yesterday dropped um, a big investigative report uh, from the Office of the Inspector General, uh, a 500, what was it, a 500... 568-page report on a review of various actions by the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Justice in advance of the 2016 election, which reveals that James Comey was conducting personal FBI business on his own private email address, to which Hillary Clinton tweeted out... Where is it? She tweeted out the story... Originally posted on Twitter by Kyle Cheney, that quote IG found that on numerous occasions Comey used a personal Gmail account to conduct official FBI business, according to source briefed on the report. Hillary Clinton tweeted that out with "but my emails" because she's so freaking clever. Uh, and a bunch of her fans was 
loving that tweet saying that she epically pwned the system. Well, guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Comey's emails found nothing about classified information, number one. And number two, my response to Hillary Clinton, which I know she didn't read at all because I'm just a small little man, was, yes, your emails and Comey's emails and Colin Powell's emails. Just because you all seemingly suck at grasping this accountability concept doesn't mean you're any less at fault. Because her tweeting that out is undermining everything and saying that she is still above the law. She's not. Comey's not. Colin Powell's not. Barack Obama isn't. It's dumb. All these government officials entrusted with responsibility with one simple task. Use the government devices and the government emails you've been provided with to conduct government business. Period. The end. And you can't do something that freaking simple. That's what I'm talking about. But I'm not talking about that report. It's 568 pages or better. Many of it text messages of FBI employees talking about how they were going to stifle the election for Trump and all that. So I'll dive into that when I can sink my teeth into it because otherwise you're just reading tweets and snippets from people and I don't even know if I can trust them. So anyway, guys, thank you for listening and tuning in. Be sure to check out my contribution on 71republic.com. Follow me on Twitter at FritzQS, F-R-I-T-Z-Q as in quail or Quincy or whatever, S as in snake. All right, follow that on Twitter. Facebook.com slash the Fritzcast. Fritzcast.wordpress.com for my own personal blog. And if you need to get in contact with me, Fritzcastpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Love you all. And I'll see you next week.